Somebody pray. We need it. Mm. Mike, I nominate you. All right. Second. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. St. Therese of Lisium. Pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father Saint and Joseph. the Son. St. Joseph. Oh, pray, pray for, for us. us. Our Lady He's of our Lourdes. silent guest today. St. Joseph is our silent guest. Hello. <laughs> Very good. I just yeah. got that. <laughs> hey, did you text Father Presta? <laughs> oh, no. No, Dang I should. There you go. Yeah. Text him. Text him today. It's uh, you know the, right Italy's big tradition to do the St. Joseph's table. Yeah, man. Dang, oh, I and sister, sister would do the St. Joseph's table, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she would do a big event. Oh, Father Bob. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. They would just give him a microphone at those St. Joseph's tables, and he would just talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, Father Bob, dude. <laughs> that's called his that dream. Talk. Yeah. He <laughs> can't <laughs> around Italian traditions too. Oh man. How's uh how's quarantine treating you, Jews? All right, I'm going to be I'm going to be really real here, okay? Mm-hmm. Quarantine is awesome. <laughs> Best quarantine time of my life. It's it is. It I is. Saw That's that a, on Twitter. <laughs> honestly, it's like here have been my days, okay? I have drank I'm, I don't know how many, how much coffee I've drank, but it's in the gallons at this point. Okay. I've probably, and this is not an exaggeration, averaged like three to four holy hours a day at a little chapel, like set up in the back of my house. And like, other than that, I, I'm working on a couple things like, you know, kind of working from, uh, from home, but like, I'm just praying for people. And then in the evenings or like at some point during the day, I just catch up with people that I love. So like, I'm just talking to people that I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, yeah. Shout out to the, uh, Hinnishes and the Grizz. We're going to have a little, uh, Skype nightcap after the Hinnishes put the kids to bed, uh, tomorrow night. Um, yeah, man, it's good. And, I won. I needed it. I don't even remember our last podcast, honestly, because I was so. I think I was still jet lagged, um, and I was just so tightly wound from that trip. Of I was so nervous that like one of those students was going to get quarantined. I I don't even know. It was just like one of those things. Until they were home, like I could just feel like stress and tension coming out of out of my body, which is really good. Um, but they're all doing doing well. I've been able to catch up with with some of them and everything um, like that. And I'm even if you guys want to hear, we we don't have to talk about this at all because it's not quite it's not going to be super articulate yet. But I've had I had a couple pretty pretty real deal graces myself from from that trip and time with Our Lady. If you guys want to hear them, yeah, yeah. Well, one, the one I, yeah, I'm kind of interested in your guys' take um, on, and I say this as like really good because it's been really light and like healing, Um, but 
yeah, I've come back, and I had this moment at Lourdes, like kneeling in front of the Blessed Mother in the spot that, yeah, I think like St. Bernadette probably knelt around, and um, and it's just such a special place. And I just kind of heard, yeah, not audibly, but I was just very much this sense kind of in my heart of the Blessed Mother telling me, like, little boy, you'll never know how much I love you. Um, and just kind of trying to stay there with that, with that grace. And so I've been, I, as I've come back and yeah, kind of unwound from, from the trip and everything. And especially like, it's tough to not have the sacraments for people. Like just gotten a few texts from people that it just shows like how good their heart is of like, they're just struggling, not being able to go to mass, Mm -hmm. you know? And so trying to like, be really intentional and responsible about like saying mass reverently and um and trying to hang on I'm getting another call sorry can you guys hear me mm-hmm. yep hello yeah okay gotcha sorry um but anyway uh, I lost my train of thought celebrating the mass reverently yeah and and people like just how good their um their hearts are and like wanting to receive the Eucharist. But that's been, I don't know. That's just been tougher on me. I I guess I never thought like this situation would be there. Like that public masses would be canceled, you know? So it's just, it's very unique in that way. Um, But I think in that I've thought back on the person that has come up in, in my prayer has been Cardinal George, like and stuff that we've talked about him before of like when Cardinal George was around and just kind of at the helm, like I just felt very secure. Like it's same the night that um, we went to his funeral. I remember doing that podcast and just talking about him. And there's just kind of this sense of like things are okay because we got him, you know? Um, And I don't know. I just don't think I've had like that same feeling like since he died, really. Hmm. And if that makes sense, like I, I didn't realize that that fear was kind of still there. But I think the Blessed Mother just kind of like came in there and just kind of let some grace and, and light come in there. So it's not really anything past that to to articulate besides, I don't know, just her telling me like, hey, it's it's okay. Like I'm here and um, like we're going to get we're going to get through this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that was my that was my grace that I've been uh, praying with. And it's yeah, it's kind of like with everything else. It's just been bringing up a lot of good like really good memories. Um, like, yeah, we had, we had some good times up on the cam dudes. Yeah. Like brought up a lot of those memories and yeah. we had, we had some darn good times just talking to all these friends and everything like that. It's been good. Yeah. I'd say it's especially providential grace considering Mike uh, closer to the mic. Can you hear me? That's better. Mm-hmm. Is that better? And especially providential grace considering what you were about to go through from Lords. Yeah. True. Yeah, you know, yeah. just to ha- to let Our Lady speak into that fear, uh, and to be present there. Yeah, that's awesome, man, dude. Lords, man, it's a special place. Was it as beautiful this time when you went? Um, it was different. It was different. It was as beautiful and as awing. Um, there was like no crowd, so there was hardly mm. anybody there. Um, and a couple of the days we had really nice weather, but it still wasn't like the, like the green summer that we were there before, you know, when we were in May or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's totally different, but yeah, just as, just as powerful. 
Um, but they actually, I don't know if you guys saw it, they just closed it. They closed the gates. First time no ever way. since they've opened. Yep, since the apparition. It's the first time ever wow. that it's closed. Um, and they, they, they just said it's going to be indefinite until, like, until this passes. No way. I know. I know. Um, so wow. I think they just announced that today. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Have you guys felt any uh, any fear or panic? That's a personal question. But it's <laughs> all right. All everything that we talk about on here is pretty personal. True. Um, I haven't, and the best way. The thing that I've related this whole experience to so far, and you know, so far as I can tell, we're we're still just kind of getting underway. Um, it's odd because you know it's tracking numbers, and I can see that the numbers are growing right. of cases in the United States, and I think even within the last day, um, case numbers that are being reported jumped like four thousand, um, which is significant and you can see Italy and all these other countries they're still haven't hit their peak yet um you know we 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 do have a fair number of cases in Georgia and it's it's still growing so like I I get that it's real and I'm not doubting the precautions that we're putting in place but it does feel like um what I would call a Georgia snow day where uh it was a very common thing down in the south um, especially after what that we call the snowpocalypse uh, of Atlanta. I think it was 2014 where you got like a, a couple inches of snow and it shut down the city for like three days or something like that. And people were stuck on the highways, people giving birth to babies in Home Depots. Like it got crazy oh in a hurry. Hmm. And so then since then, uh, there's always been a lot of precaution around snow and around specifically cold and icy weather but it's a very common experience for there to be snow um, predicted in the weather and the forecast and they cancel school for the next day and then you wake up and it's like sunny 40, 40 degrees and sunny yeah mm-hmm. you're like okay uh <laughs> i guess this is a snow day i don't know but it's and then so there's this thing that you're expecting that's meant to cause trouble and, and to be difficult um, and it never comes and, and it's odd because you just, you live a normal day and it's, it, it never happens. And what's really weird about this is like, we're taking so many precautions. Um, there's this thing that it's still at a distance personally. Right. And it's like, I know that this is a good thing, but I am not seeing it. I don't see what, like, what is everybody freaking out about it? You know, I, and I get it. I see it on the news again. Like I see the numbers and I know that these precautions are good, but it's so distant from my everyday experience. Like, well, I'm just driving around doing my, doing my same thing. Yeah. Invisible. I feel so removed from it. Right. Um, it's odd. Like, I don't know what's happening. And, and so it makes me feel like, are we overreacting? But then I look at all the specialists and the experts and they say, no, we're underreacting. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't know. What to, I don't know. It just feels weird. So weird it feels like a Georgia weird. snow day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like having fun. I'm like hearing confessions outside and yeah. trying to. Have you done that? 
Yeah, yeah, we we had a little sign up for confessions for nice. our parish, so people call in and we do a live video mass. Somehow, yesterday I worked like a thirteen-hour day. Hmm. I'm like, <laughs> what? I taught an online RCIA course, which is a ton of fun. Our RCIA um, class is super, super awesome. They ask some great questions, very engaged, and got a great parish. And Rob, like similar experience, people are hungry for Jesus, and I feel bad. I do. It's it's just huge. So we left the church doors open for people to come and and pray, Hmm. um, so long as they keep distancing, and there can only be 20 people in the chapel at once. And Hmm. it's it's big. It's big, big church. Um, So I think people can do it in a healthy way. And we have a lady who comes and wipes down the pews after each person leaves. And then I sat out in the pavilion and had confessions if you called in listed from like one to four and you could just fill in time slots and so i just sat outside today in the sun and uh people kind of rotated through and um you know playing with kids and they come at a distance and racing them and like timing them running around the parish and just trying to have I, it's so weird. It's like yeah, it's really just weird. trying to have normal human interactions, you know, and it's difficult. It's challenging. Um, yeah. So just to be clear, you, you, it feels like a Georgia snow day. You're not saying that this is no big deal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, and I, I get it. it. Like all of the experts and, continue to look at the different cases and situations in different countries who have already, um, who have not put precautions in place and it's broken their healthcare system. Poor Italy. Right. Awful. And so I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not going to play one. So yeah, I I think all the precautions, you know, I don't know how I would do it personally. Thanks be to God. I'm not a bishop or a pastor or have any responsibility. I'm so pumped about that. Hmm. <laughs> I'm so pumped, dude. I just get to still run around and be a priest. That's it. And pray for everybody. But um, what a tough time to make decisions here. So, right. so yeah, it, it feels like a Georgia snow day. But those Georgia snow days are important because if you don't call them, then sometimes sh- cities get shut down. And you know, bad, bad stuff happens. So it's just so disconnected from the everyday experience from, from my own personal, uh, interaction of each day. So it's odd in that way. I'm amazed at the speed with which things changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching anything like on TV from three weeks ago, uh, when people would sit in auditoriums together and watch a stand-up comedian or like a sports stadium and watch a basketball game, you're like, can't believe we were doing that. <laughs> you know, like how quickly it became a thing that, oh, we're avoid crowds because there are viruses. You know, like it's, I'm sure we'll forget just as quickly as we got alarmed once this is not a threat anymore and we'll just be around and drink out of each other's cups and not think about viruses that much, shake each other's hands and whatnot. I've been, as a priest, I've been usually pretty uh, mindful of my hands, like washing my hands a lot because I shake a lot of hands and 
people you're around a lot of people and you're distributing communion and stuff like that but this is just like alert you know telling people like even if you're outside walking around keep six feet of distance from any other person you realize what a what a weird thing that is to not be near other people um yeah and i'll I'll say this we're supposed to talk about something fun because rob wanted to but um they're already giving people the sacraments i think yeah it is really tough but i have seen some stuff online and i need to follow my own advice and not be online so much but it's hard of like certain people that are naysaying the leadership and saying we should keep the churches open or we should keep having mass because we don't live for this world we live for the next and some people who are not in authority and are not responsible for huge decisions that are really tough and unprecedented kind of like using this as an opportunity to kind of take some swings you know and i get the i get the person who is hungry for the eucharist is accustomed to that sacramental intimacy with jesus and they feel deprived of it and sad because of that but uh you know it'd be one thing if this was a like a bubonic plague or tuberculosis that just killed everybody um and you were like i'm willing to take the risk but uh it's kind of like i was seeing there's still kids down in miami partying for spring break that are like if i get it i get it you know um you're like that's not actual courage that's just like i'm i'm not gonna get it. it's not my problem you know and i'm not i'm also not saying that a lot of people are saying that is the reason that we should keep the churches open but it's uh you know in theory the science is telling us this is this is the right thing to do to save the lives of vulnerable people mostly elderly um and it's an act of charity and in all likelihood and probability 99 percent chance you're going to live through this if you're not in a vulnerable population and you'll get to receive the eucharist again and there are people who don't get to receive the eucharist but once or twice a year in isolated places and soldiers that are deployed and stuff like that i'm not saying that's a good thing but but i am saying um i saw i just saw one tweet that kind of made me like facepalm a little bit that was like we 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 could keep the masses under 50 people if we had mass every hour from 7 a.m to 10 p.m in my parish and i'm like i get that but is that really what i'm trying to think as a priest what's my what i'm praying about a lot is what's my role here who am i responsible for who am i supposed to take care of and how and what's the best way to do that given that it's authorities over me and the situation on the ground and the uncertainties always the right question by the way and um yeah i could you know now we can't because it's not even 50 it's 10 people um and that's from the from the feds Mm -hmm. uh but like i'm i'm trying to think about the people that are sick and dying and will be and the doctors and and stuff that are going to catch this and um like, how do we be priests to them? And is that the best way? Like, the faithful are hurting, certainly. But there are... It's very tempting to make this about me. Like, I'm bored, or I want to go to Miami, or I want to... And what I what I, I guess am urging against is not to make the, make the deprivation of the sacraments about me. Like, this is just a... This is a bad situation for a lot of different people. And what's probably going to get us through this is 
is people in a peaceful way is people thinking about others. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if I'll just cut all that out, but does that make any sense? Yeah, man. I think that's well said. It's, Disc. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I, hmm. Go right, for Rob, it. you, you want to add anything? Mine's, mine would be more just of a question that I want to add to it, but, uh, no, I'm with you. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, there's not a, there's not like a protocol, um, for this, you know, or anything like that. Um, so I'm, yeah, everything you said. I guess, absolutely. People need the comfort now of, of the faith and of Christ more than ever. And I guess what's tough is that, uh, a week ago, I was still in the mode of trying to get people hungry for the Eucharist because so few people are. Hmm. Yeah. And now you're in a stance where like the people that do want it and now the added people who would be more likely to go to church because we're in a crisis, um, you're having to like explain to them why you can't, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of cognitive dissonance. And then on top of that, as a so priest, can I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was well, just can I say, add- as a priest, we're, we're responsible for the sick and the dying. And the fact that like the archdiocese just put out a thing that said you can't, have a funeral with more than 10 people at it. And right. I think that's heartbreaking. Yeah. The fact that you're going to uh, miss a Sunday mass stinks. You know, it's Lent and this is the time for spiritual renewal, but I don't know. It's just, I, I get it, but I, there's been a few things like in public from people that I think should know better that I just feel like at, the, at a time like this, I'm not saying everybody's got to agree with everybody in leadership, but like I've also noticed in politics, that these are the situations when politics stops being a game and starts being something where it's like you're a leader now. You're not a you're not a person trying to win a game, hmm. a popularity contest. Like whoever you are in charge now, this is why the system exists. Is because you we need somebody to be in charge. You know, yeah. um, and not saying we need to just like accept everything that everybody says because they're in charge, but. Uh, yeah, like I think I think the bishops are making the right move. Frankly, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I w- I was just curious, and don't share anything that you don't want to share here. This, but are you saying that more from a place of I'm trying to think how to word this? Like, hey, here's an observation of like what's going on in this unprecedented situation, or from like more of a place of like an effective movement in your own heart of like realizing, Hey, a week ago I was trying to think of anything to cultivate a hunger for the Eucharist. And like, here it is now where like the people that are there and are hungry are not able to go. Does that make sense? Like what I'm asking there? Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, it's partly being online too much and just like, thinking about what other people are saying and when i have prayed it's been honestly like when it's just me to to jesus it's yeah. like here's here's what i'm afraid of and i want to i want to yeah. be i want to be a saint in this moment you know um, right i do feel a deeper desire to be generous like it's been actually easier to be 
I don't know, to avoid sin and to be more faithful because you're like, I don't know, the stakes are higher. It's not, right. it's not like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow or next year. Hmm. Um, but, uh, the, I guess it's the, the thing that I'm bristling against is the tendency in all of us. And I can see it in myself. That's why I recognize it in others is to make this about me, you know, like, I asked you guys if you had felt any fear or panic. And it, it's been a couple times, but not not too bad. And I don't honestly feel very afraid for myself health-wise. But just the whole, just feeling like, ah, the vulnerability of all this stuff. I went for a walk last night and prayed the rosary. And I'm like, this is crazy, dude. Um, mm-hmm. And you just need to like, what my, my, the thing I kept thinking of was like, what made those firefighters run up the Twin Towers when they were on fire? How did they do that in that moment when everybody else was just terrified and trying to get the heck out of there? Some people go in, you know, and uh, I'm not saying that we're in a burning building right now, but it, it it's just scary and the economy and all that stuff. Um, and there's people suffering. And uh, I think a lot of us naturally, especially those with like families and children and things are, are going to be like, I need to take care of myself and my people, you know? And just kind of shut the world out. But um, as priests, I don't think we have that option. And I guess what I'm saying is like, I would love to have masses, but, it, you know, where people can come. That's my whole thing. That's why I'm a priest. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not afraid to do that. Um, you know what I mean? But this is like our best judgment right now. This is the way to save lives is to stay apart. And that means not having the Eucharist. And that's a bummer, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. What are you thinking, Matt? Yeah. <clears throat> I know. It's just it, like, that strikes me as so funny for you to say, because it's so obvious, but it does seem like almost in a lot of ways that's what's being challenged. It's like, do you even love Jesus? Yeah, that's. I guess that that's the and you're like, thing what, that's really what are you tough talking to deal about, with. dude? I, like, are you afraid? You don't even love the Eucharist enough? Yeah, and seeing people say things like, you know, the priests are going to pray their private masses, and people responding, oh, I'm I'm not so sure about that. Our priests aren't that holy. And you're just like, oh. Yeah, that stuff just leaves such a and, bad taste in my mouth. And and you know, you mentioned the bubonic plague one. I've I've heard the bubonic plague one. I've heard, yeah, the Great Wars, World War Two. Like priests are still out there celebrating mass, and everybody came even when there's explosions. And public masses are never canceled during the Great Bubonic Plagues, and people needed to pray then more than ever. It's like, look, I get it. That's totally true, but that's not what this is. This isn't the bubonic plague, like. We have medicine that can stop certain things. We have way more information. If we wait for two weeks or something like that, less people will die. Like the bubonic plague, nobody had any clue what was going on. Everybody was just dying from this insane sickness and there was no way to stop it. That's not what this is. Right. This is different. This is not the you know medieval times where we have no idea what's going on. But now we get to listen to experts and hopefully, um, you know, and I, and I guess that's my big question. This is what I've liked to propose to people is that we, we believe very strongly in our faith as Christians, as Catholics, 
that like you're called to be a a law abiding uh fruitful and productive citizen that this is that's that's part of our moral obligation to serve a nation and to do it well and to do it morally as an as an upstanding moral citizen and I get it that it's weird and tough because we're also like citizens of a kingdom of a kingdom of god and so i I think that's kind of what's being talked about and asked about in a way that I don't think a lot of people know, maybe myself included, how do you serve and live as a good citizen of a nation in this time right now? Not the bubonic plague, not the great wars, but right now in our situation that we have with the information that we have and live as a good citizen of the kingdom of God. And I think a part of that is recognizing, like you're saying, is with the information that we have at hand, it seems like you, as a part of a larger body, both the body of the church, but the body of humanity, the United States, all these larger communities, expanding communities, that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And so, yeah, I know it's really difficult, but for the greater good, like that's kind of what we've decided. That's what the experts seem to be saying is that we need to have distance in order for this to pass so that less so that we save lives you know and and I get that that takes a sacrifice but it seems like the smartest people in the world are saying that um yeah and it I know it's not as flashy um as going out and dying receiving the eucharist during the bubonic plague you know but there's also a moral obligation to be good citizens of of a nation and of a state and of a city and of a community and of a parish. Um, you know, cause everybody's two steps away from being connected to somebody who's, who's vulnerable and, and actually in a place where they could really get sick and die from it. Yeah. So that's a question that maybe needs more catechizing. Um, but I, I think that's the question that's kind of buzzing around in my head is what does it look like right now to serve as a, yeah, a good citizen of a nation and a good citizen of the kingdom of God right now. Hmm. This doesn't discredit anything that you guys have said, but I would say don't spend so much time online. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I yeah. Just, and I've yeah. given that advice to others, but yeah, I would kind of genuinely say that as well of, yeah, that's unless it's yeah. to listen to us. Well, of course, barely even online. Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> the podcaster sphere. But I, but I really mean that. I mean, do y'all have any input to that question? <clears throat> what? Yeah. What does it mean? These are the moments when it's kind of tested. Uh, we think of it mostly as, um, like voting and things like that, or particular issues. But uh, you're saying like the intersection of the civil and the religious yeah. duties. Yeah. Well, my only thought there, and I know this is going to sound like, gosh, so basic, but hopefully not cliche. Basic's okay. Cliche's not. But um, yeah, I just, I read through, I almost am through um, just in the last couple of days, uh, Father Gallagher's book on discerning the will of God, like an Ignatian guide for decision making. Um. And it's so good. Like, it's so good. And I guess, like, what I'm hearing there and maybe, like, wondering myself is, 
yeah, like in, in these moments, um, the question still remains, like, what does God want me to do? And yeah, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, he just lays it out so beautifully in that book of what St. Ignatius notices in the spiritual life is that any type of discernment cannot take place until there is first a foundation of knowing um, that you're deeply and intimately loved by God in whatever circumstance. And then from that place to grow in what he calls a disposition of heart that allows you to say, like, Lord, what is your will? What is instead of mine? But if it's the correct disposition of heart, like you mean that earnestly because you trust God as having your best interest in in his heart. And then it's from that place that you can cultivate things like silence and spiritual direction and sacred scripture and all of that that allows you to like enter into one of the three modes of discernment, which would be like a moment of clarity or discerning spirits to get to a place of like what the heart is attracted to or what he calls a preponderance of reasons um, where you can kind of weigh out like, Hey, this is, this is like the prudent thing to do, or this is, this brings about the greater glory of, of God. Um, and I don't know when you were talking there, Mike, I guess what made me think like to say that was I was thinking about like different times where, and I, I, I want to be very careful here because I actually, I want to like, yeah, just, I, I actually think the, the bishops are making, like very good and prudent decisions. I think that like the precautions are, are good. Um, especially when you hear something like a healthcare system failing and everything like that. So this isn't in any way, um, in any way, like trying to cast out or bash any type of authority. Um, but it's just interesting in different times where, um, yeah, like different saints have been subject to authorities in their life like even in very hard moments, like the peace of which they're able to operate in, in those moments, which gives them like this very real clarity to move forward in their life. And so I was thinking of like, I, I, the, the person that was coming to mind was Maximilian Kolbe, um, who from all accounts, it just sounded like he, he, like, not that he was stoic in what he did, but he seemed to just be like, um, intensely at peace with every movement that like subjected him to these authorities to a place that he didn't want to go, you know, um, in that, but that comes from like that type of clarity to know what to do. Like it's going, that's what I mean of it's basic. Like it's simply like in times like this or anything like that, it's going back to, well, like what's the foundation from which you live? And if, if it's not from a place of like love and, and deep trust in the God who loves you, then everything else will get skewed. Um, does that make any sense? It makes a lot of really good sense. Yeah. That was pretty dynamite, bro. Right. Nailed and, uh, it. I, I think that somewhat this feels like chickens coming home to roost that we have a culture of questioning authority. Um, and it happens it happens on both sides in our civil discourse and it happens on both sides in our church discourse of like we kind of make a sport of lampooning our leaders and uh categorizing them as one or the other you know tribe and 
relish a little bit like their disgrace or you know things like that when they make bad decisions and and second guessing them because that's kind of how our government works is like we fire our leaders every four years um or eight years and in times like this you you realize more the need for leadership but that's what um I was talking to a Capuchin brother today about obedience and what it means to, in a religious community. Like when, when you're told something under obedience is not, it's like not to be taken lightly. Like I'm, I'm telling you to do this under obedience. And that's only necessary when the person themselves is like, I don't want to go this place. I don't want this job. I don't want to, I, I want to do this thing that you're not allowing me to do precisely because not because you want to do something bad, but because you think God's calling you to do it, you know? And this, this is a perfect example. God wants me to go to mass, right? So the church is telling me I can't. That means the church is against God and I'm the one that's for God. And that, um, that freedom you're talking about with Kolbe and other, other saints, um, that have experienced that where like they, they were in those cases, bad leaders or bad decisions or things that they weren't, they were being asked to do or not do but there was there was something salutary for them in just accepting that because that was God's will like God's will is not some inspiration that you get regardless of the circumstances or regardless of what your superiors like if i were in a in the seminary and i told the the formators god wants me to be a priest and they said no he doesn't <laughs> like guess what the way god chooses people to be priests is by the church ordaining them you know um I, none of us are authorities unto ourselves and that i guess that's the the question too of the civic versus religious authority which is a question from history the two swords and everything like who's really in charge in the world um and how do things run in a world governed by sin where you need might making right you know where obviously the kingdom of god is something totally different it's a kingdom of love and and no one is a slave there everyone is a a son and a daughter. Um, but in any case, like the way that looks like this side of heaven is through sometimes the conflicting wills and them, then there being a primary one over you, mm-hmm. which that's how you discern God's will is like this, this is not good. I wish I could do this. Like if they told us, if the Cardinal told me stop doing the podcast, like I, God's will would be for us to stop podcasting. However, unlikely that would sound. Don't because obviously God even wants us talk to about podcasting. it. Don't <laughs> even talk like, about fortunately, it. I don't think he even knows about it. We just asked Baron about it <laughs> like five years ago, six years ago. And he gave us approval, which is de facto. <laughs> de facto. That's still, ad infinitum. Good. Yeah. But does that make sense? That I, I don't know if I even added anything to what you just said, but that makes a lot of good sense. Like, what people are feeling right now stuck at home is like, man, the government's making me stay home or closing all the stuff. And even the churches are closing like, you know, um, I don't like that. Of course, nobody likes it. Um, but how could it be God's will that we not go to mass? Um, and somehow mysteriously right now it is because that's what the church is doing. Yeah. You know, none of us are more right. Yeah, and I mean the but the the only path forward on that. And I guess maybe like like reading that book again um it, but it's it's the only path forward ever is is that question like for a disciple is lord what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Like and that's it. I mean there's nothing else. There's not another path besides that. Um 
at least if you want to like be happy or not happy. Um, but if you want to be who you are, I don't know how else to say that's not hitting it, but, um, and like, that's again, if if you want to know the answer to that question, then, I mean, that's like, I mean, Ignatius is the master on that from the tradition of noticing the spiritual life. And you cannot, you cannot discern that without the foundation of knowing that there's a God who loves you infinitely. And from that place, like a disposition of heart to trust him. And you, the, the discernment does not happen until those two things do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if they do, you can go into anything, um, like whatever the Lord asks. Like if you have those, then like whatever, like wherever he goes and he works in a certain way, like to reveal that to you and like bring clarity and like a confirmation to it. Um, but that's it. I mean, I mean, it's even like St. Therese. I read this the other day of... I think she died on what did, did she die on September thirtieth? I think, but her last communion because she was so sick was like um, August sixteenth, I think. So like a month and a half before before she died. Um, and again, it's not to like it's not to downplay, yeah, a situation we're in now or anything like that. But it's like even there, um, like, was it God's will for her to not receive the Eucharist, um, like a month and a half before she died? Like, well, I mean, in the circumstances, yeah, it was. Um, right. And, and like, but how she was able to navigate that with like a very deep and tranquil heart, um, of like a longing for like what she, she knew was coming, um, in in heaven within like a full union with jesus um like that came from the foundation of knowing the god who loves her and the disposition of heart that like allows the courage to say whatever you want lord that's it yeah even if it looks radically different than what i think it should look like yeah yeah i you know i brought up um the other day with somebody i can't remember now Something Joe Altenhoffen. Do you know that name? He's a priest in Did Seattle. Did he write? Oh my gosh, dude. I'm going to have to bleep that out. Did you what? just say that, man? <laughs> That's insane. You just said that. Oh, frick, dude. <laughs> what time are we at? Check the time. Check the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, priest of Seattle. Um, 4430. <laughs> Shame. Shame. <laughs> God provides. Um, You'll never remember that. He that was, was a deacon. <laughs> Me and Scott were in pre-theology. I think we were the newest members of the cam, and he was a deacon. Um, and he'd also had the bummer of his diocese at the time was the only one doing a pastoral year, so he didn't graduate or, or be ordained with his classmates who he'd been with since pre-theology. So he was kind of this... He'd come back as a deacon, but his whole class had graduated. He was a little bit of a sad figure, but um, very holy guy uh, with a little bit of senioritis. But we, I just really looked up to him. We played golf a lot with him. and um, We were talking at some point. Some of the I can't wait guys, to play golf, by the way. Oh, just yeah, side thanks. note. Gosh. Anyway, um, continue. Some of us younger guys were talking about like first mass things as you do. 
and like how we wanted our first masses to be and you know it's really dumb like seminary and it's like brides talking to girls that aren't engaged yet talking about their weddings <laughs> we were all just like i want my first mass to be like this and that um and he said something that i'll never forget he was like you know you guys will find and this was not in a like a recriminating way or a judgmental way he just said i think you guys will find that when you get closer to getting ordained and and doing your first mass that that stuff is not really for you it's for the people like in your parish where you do your first mass your home parish that's really about them so you like you coming in and being like i want to do mass this way or the music to be that way or or whatever is not going to be your first priority and i guess what he was saying and what had he had experienced was like he was about to be a priest and he realized like that that day was not about him you know and as you're planning it and then living it you really realize that like people who get married like this was not a party to celebrate us this was a service we did for our friends and family you know um and our marriage hopefully won't be just about us either hmm. uh just like your priesthood isn't um but there is that that temptation to to make those things uh about me and like i can imagine therese had a way that she thought she would die you know with the eucharist on her tongue um you know and jesus on her lips and what did doesn't she have famous last words was that I think, all his grace? I think, no, I think her last words were just, my God, I love you. I think that was it. I'm pretty sure. But like whenever that, like we all have these moments in our life that we have planned out, you know. I remember one time I went to confession and I felt like afterwards I had this little grace of like a consolation as if God were promising me that I will get this, right, I will be in this state of grace when I die. And it, just the thought of that, of being like recently confessed hmm. and going into the arms of God and death was very consoling, you know, and I hope that does happen. But like, you, I think we all have premonitions of like the things that we are looking forward to or not so looking forward to. We have a way that we hope that that happens. But um, in this situation, we're feeling it like uh, this is not the way I expect it to be. Like nobody, nothing is normal right now. Um, and we will only look back on this and realize like what were good decisions and what were overreactions and what were, what mm -hmm. actually helped and what didn't help and um, testing versus public dis distance or whatever it's called, social distance and how our readiness and things like that. Um, but at the moment it's like nobody, nobody wanted this. Nobody pictured this happening in their land. Like imagine if you're an RCIA right now, um, or, or your ordination's coming up in a month or two, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make it like, so that you can, like you're saying, God loves me. The, what are the two things? The foundation of, I am, I'm loved by God unconditionally. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I have I'm, a disposition of heart to follow him and trust him. Right. Which has to come from the foundation. So the foundation has to come first of being loved by like the, being loved by God who loves you infinitely. And, mm -hmm. but like knowing that in experience, not, not trying to talk yourself into it. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that and from that foundation, the disposition of heart to to actually be able to say and mean like, Lord, your will be done, not mine, because you trust him and not trying. You flip that oftentimes. As you, if, I think a lot of times people will say, and I've done this. I So I, I don't say people like I, you know, struggle with that in my own life of like, 
well, if I say that, then I'll know your love foundationally and you get it in the wrong order, hmm. you know? And so, but you have to, so it's very clear, like foundation and then disposition. Foundation. And yeah. Disposition. Which is really the, I think it's the only way that you can actually fully have that disposition. <laughs> exactly. It's the only way the, 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 the disposition is real. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, and that's I, why that's, that's Ignatius is, that's why his insight is so brilliant into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that's coming to mind, well, and in, in, in maybe it, I, do, I don't want to say this lightly at all, but, you know, part of what makes a situation odd is it's it's the real-time experience of, like you're saying, this intersection between these two worlds, these two cities, you know, and right now, churches, like the, the kingdom of God, you know, if you really want to hold a high ecclesiology, uh, the body of Christ is being told what to do by scientists. And I think that drives people nuts. Hmm. Um, and I, to be honest, it, I don't, it doesn't feel great. It makes sense to me, but it, it, it really doesn't feel great. It, but I think that's an added difficulty to it. Um, but this is what I don't want to say lightly is that, um, that God's love is and Rob, I think this is to your point. God's love is still present and active, fully, and is is in no way limited by this. It's not like Jesus is scrambling, like what? What? Exactly. <laughs> Wait a second. Exactly. Coronavirus. Yeah. How can I love people in the midst yeah, of I, coronavirus? We, you know, and yeah. and I don't want to say that lightly at all. Um, well, because no, but, Jesus, the ordinary way in which He communicates His love and salvation to us is through the Eucharist is through the sacraments. Um, and at mm. the same time, you know, the, the figure that's coming to mind, y'all mentioned Colby and, and Therese, but Thomas More is such an awesome example of somebody who lived his life in total peace of relationship with Christ. And, and, and he, he walked that line, that balance of, you know, being a citizen of these two different kingdoms uh, simultaneously and it makes me think of a book I'm, I've been reading f- uh, from Jacques Philippe, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. And he says that... It's on the quarantine recommended list for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Read that. Yeah. It's so good. And one of the principles that he lays down, this is a, an a priori fact. that he, he, And he says it so succinctly and just so definitively that you can't... There's no wiggle room to rationalize your way out of it he says any idea however good you think it is that causes you to lose your peace is not from god Hmm. any idea no matter how good you think it is that causes you to lose your peace is not from god Hmm. and i think what what these great saints are able to do is to become detached from how they think things should be and become attached to how God is actually loving them in each of these moments, which gives Thomas More the freedom to be trapped in a tower away from his family, away from his wife and his children, certainly not going to Mass, and to get his head chopped off doing what he thought was right. Yeah, that's incredible, with utter peace. To be able to say before he dies, um, I die with the king's servant, the king's faithful servant. Hmm. His, that first. famous line, but but God's, you know, but God's servant most of all, or something to that effect. Holy 
smokes. Or for Therese, you know, who of course desired the intimacy of the Eucharist, um, the intimacy with Christ, to to let that go and to still remain in the peace of Jesus at all times. Um, and so I think, I know I can get bent out of shape when things aren't how I think they're supposed to be, um, instead of allowing for God's love in this moment, not in any other moment, but in this moment right here and right now, knowing that God knows coronavirus and that every other circumstance that's present, that he's fully capable of loving me infinitely right now. And and then to accept from there, um, instead of trying to twist reality to fit how I think it should be. I, I oftentimes get way more out of whack doing that instead of accepting what's present before me. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to say that lightly, because it is so tough that yeah. folks aren't going to be able to receive the Eucharist. Yeah. But, you know, the, like you're saying, that the Lord's love is still present there. Um, that's good, man. Well, and I think that's exactly right. And I'm not a good enough theologian, I just mean this sincerely, but to even dance with the question of, like, making a distinction between God's active and his passive will. You know, and it's like, I don't know, you know, like to get into to that of like, what is he directly, is, is that the right terminology, theological? Yeah, I think permissive will. Permissive will. And, um, but like one thing without a doubt is that like in God's providence, he's permitting this to happen, um, like un, unrevocably, um, relentlessly, that's true, which means that he can draw like is something out of it um that we certainly weren't i don't think any of us were expecting and like maybe not even wanting but like it's still there so to your point mike of like yeah what's the difference in like what's the difference in how much god loves me um in like the greatest moment of grace in my life versus um during a quarantine when i can't i cannot go to mass and the answer to that is zero. There's zero difference in how much he loves you or desiring to show you that love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, saying that's like a real challenge for me um, because like I have been trying to tell people that and, you know, I kind of inserted it a little bit into my homily this last Sunday before we, uh, canceled all public masses. It's like, you know, I, I'm not just going to say that, you know, Oh, God loves you. Don't worry about it. He loves, and that's, you know, that that's where I, I don't want it to be some like throwaway line, you know, God loves you just as you are. You don't need the Eucharist to receive his love. And then I go off and act like a schmuck or I'm not praying. And, and like you're yeah. saying, this call to celebrate the mass really reverently I think it is this deep appreciation, like, yeah, for sure. God loves you infinitely at all times in all spaces right now, for sure. Um, but there is this uniqueness about the Eucharist. And, and so I'm not going to just say that to you and then um, not also deeply appreciate and try to live in the fullness of, of God's life for me here where, where I do have access to the sacraments. Mm. Um so it's like I better, I better live like this is true, because uh, those words, those are no small words. Like that's a tough rally cry, 
right there. Yeah. Um, and so to try and live in a way to, to back that up as well, it's, it has been a, a challenge for me, um, to try and live for my people, you know? Well, one last thing you've talked about Thomas Moore, another quarantine recommendation, a hidden life is now available for streaming online. Oh, so. Dude, Perfect. I, I watched it on the plane. And that's one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen in my life. Right. Mets, you need to watch that tonight, bro. Ew. Ew. I almost brought it. I didn't know. I thought we were kind of wrapping up. But when you were talking about Thomas More, I, I was going to talk about that guy of just, yeah, wow. Wow. Wow, yeah. man. Seriously, that movie is so beautiful, Club. too. It's so beautiful. Mm. Gosh. Hmm. All right, guys. That was... Was that fun? <laughs> I think... Yeah. Our next one. When do we want to do our next one? I got time, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I want to wrap this one up here. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.